time. This crushed and crumbled. I'm not sure if it's safe to report from my vantage point. I I really need to leave. So the fences inform me that the surrounding areas are, are in ruin. I I see some people running now. And the opinion of this reporter, if this nation or in fact the world ever needed heroes, that time is now. That time is now. Exciting episode of the Fire and Water Podcast, the official podcast of AquamanShrine.net and FirestormFan.com. I'm one of your hosts, the Irredeemable Shag from Firestorm Fan. Along with me, as always, is my waterlogged co-host Rob Kelly from the Aquaman Shrine. How you doing, buddy? Nice to have you back, Shag. I I felt a void. I felt a disturbance in the force. Uh, and I felt like I needed to rush back as quick as I could because after listening to you and Chris Franklin and Andy Capellish talk about Superman and Batman in the movies and then listening to you and Michael Bailey talk about Superman and Batman at the movies. Um, <laughs> it's a theme week. It was. I, I started feeling a little left out and like, you know, maybe my chair won't be there when I get back. <laughs> you saw how angry uh, Bruce Wayne got about it. Exactly. I did. <laughs> that was hysterical. Uh, it's like my favorite meme now. Um, so I, I was a little worried because everyone did such an amazing job. Those were some great podcasts to listen to. They really, really were. Um, I mean, not the parts where you were talking. No, I assume that's what you meant. Yeah. It was very entertaining. So I really enjoyed those. So great job, everybody. Seriously. Yeah, so. they, that was very fun having those guys on. It was, it was, it was a real blast. Well, I'm glad to be back, and uh, we are – we're trying to play a little catch-up because, you know, we, we were a little behind with the new Aquaman book, the timing of that coming out. So this week we are recording uh, – so this will come out just a few days after the release of Aquaman number 42, which – check this out. Here's a little interesting math for you. Um, I, I put on my math hat the other day, and I started playing around, and I said, all right, well, you know, how many Aquaman ongoing issues have there been? I was wondering. And – Keep in mind, I'm talking about ongoing. I'm not talking about any of the miniseries. So you had 63 issues. I'm going to get on my calculator. I had all this written down, but I don't have it in front of me. It has 63 issues of the original series. It was right. really, what, 57 and then the others, right? Right, 57 and 6, yeah. Okay, so 63 of the first one, Ren. Then the next one went 13 issues, right? Uh, 12. 12? Yeah. Okay. Uh, then the next one went how many issues? 75? Uh, 75, yeah. Okay. Um, we're not going to talk about the zero issue because that's just silly numbering. It's a, it's a, it's, you know, it's a zero number. Then the following one went 58, 68? 57. 57 issues, right? So your math is wrong. Ugh. 
hold on. You think the guy who does an Aquaman website would know this? What do you stuff? mean my math is wrong? What are you talking about? You're you're missing a number here somewhere. Hold on. No, I'm not. Fill some air for a moment there, sir. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'll do my in-stock trades ad. Uh, you, you no, know, you were wrong. It's 13 issues. It was because thir- the 13th issue he fought KG Beast. See, I knew you forgot about the Sean okay. McLaughlin. That ran 13. They ran 13. Ran okay. See, I, I was going to say my math. Oh, I was off by one issue. Oh my well, god. That that throws off where I'm going. All right. So 63 yeah, issues, volume one. 13 issues, volume two. 75 issues, volume three. We're not going to talk about the zero issue because the numbering is screwy. Next volume, 57 issues. Now we're on issue 42, right? This week, right. So again, we're going to ignore the zero issue because, you know, that numbering is screwy. 40, number 42, that makes this comic the 250th issue of Aquaman's ongoing series. And you've just made me sad because you're just reminding me that DC doesn't let series run anymore. <laughs> so we'll, we will literally never see a 250th issue of Aquaman. We won't even see a 100th issue of Aquaman. I figure we'll see a 1,000th issue of Action Comics. Even if it's just for well, one. but that's not, but it's not real anymore. They're they're never going to call. Oh, I guess they'll probably call it that. That's what I'm weird, saying. Yeah, yeah. It's, I I figured out the math. It's in a couple of years. They would just go, you know, issue one thousand, and that would be the only one called that. You know, but yeah. anyway. Um, and really, if you want to get picky, you throw the zero issues in. This is really two hundred fifty-two, but whatever. But still, two hundred fifty issues of Aquaman. That's pretty yes, yeah, very nice. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So, folks, uh, as my friend Rob alluded to, we do need to thank our sponsor, InStock Trades. Inst- uh, if you're not familiar with them, InStock Trades is your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. So, what were you going to tell us about, Rob? Uh, yeah, I've been reading uh, Blackhawks lately. Blackhawk. The, uh, Blackhawk! Or yeah. Hawkeye! Or whatever Hawkeye, it is. yeah. The Mark of Veneer, Dan Spiegel issues, uh, that was a great series. I think I've talked about it before, and we I'm going to do an episode of Fire and Water about it at some point. So that kind of sent me down the rabbit hole of looking for Blackhawk comics on Inside Trades, and there isn't a whole lot. And this run, the one by Veneer and Spiegel, has never been collected, unfortunately. Um, so I ended up finding my way to the Quality Companion book by Tomorrow's, which is just basically one of those, you know, kind of tabloid-sized books about a history of something, and this is the history of quality comics. So it says, The Quality Companion provides the first dedicated look at the prolific Golden Age publisher, which spawned a treasure trove of beautiful art and classic characters, including the Freedom Fighters, uh, Plastic Man, the Black Hawks, and others now under the DC Comics umbrella. Uh, This book is written by Michael Coyman and Jim Amash. Uh, There's a bunch of different artists. The cover is by Dick Giordano. Can't beat that. The normal price is thirty-one ninety-five. In stock trades price is twenty-five dollars and fifty-six cents. That's twenty percent off. And if anybody of you have read these Tomorrow books, you know that they are a lot of fun. In fact, the the Tomorrow's book that's the history of the Warren magazine empire, the Warren Companion, that is like one of my all-time favorite books. Period. Like I've hmm. read, I've read it cover to cover dozens of times because they do these so well. So if you're interested in like comics history, try the Quality Companion. Nice. Very cool. Uh, well, mine is also related to something I've been reading lately. I, I've got a Star Wars itch that I needed scratching, and I wanted. I, I, I know you're going to say if something. If only there was Star Wars material available. I thought you were going to say you can get a cream for that, but anyway. Um, and go highbrow. <laughs> and so I, but here's the thing: like, I'm missing my expanded universe, my Star Wars. As as uh, 
our buddy Ryan Daly, well, he's not really a buddy, but that guy we know, unfortunately. Anyway, he kind of has his own Star Wars canon. Well, so do I. My Star Wars canon is certain aspects of the expanded universe. And one of the pieces that I decided to just try and pick up again and read, I'm, I'm rereading the book Shadows of the Empire. Now, while it's not the greatest book in the world, it wasn't bad, and I really love the marketing effort around it. I don't know if you're familiar with Shadows of the Empire. But oh, the, yeah, they did toys and everything, right? Exactly. The whole theme of Shadows of the Empire in 1997 was let's do all of the marketing for a Star Wars project like you would get for a movie, but without a movie. So there was, uh, like you said, there were toys, like actual action figures. There were little micro-machines for it. There was a book. There was a comic book. There was a soundtrack, an actual, like, full-on soundtrack. There was a video game. Um, I'm forgetting some things. I even have a book called The Secrets of the Shadow of the Empire, which is just the marketing plan for this thing. It was just, I was that fa- well, I was, you know, a marketing guy. So I was fascinated by this thing. So I decided, you know what, I, I need some of my Star Wars. So I bust out Shadows of the Empire, and I'm enjoying it. It's a fun read. You know, it's great. So uh, what I'm going to recommend is actually some Star Wars comic books, which includes the Shadows of the Empire comic book, which, interestingly enough, tells a different story than the novel. The novel tells the story of, like, Luke and Leia and Dash Rendar, which is a new character they introduced, whereas the comic book actually tells more of the story of Boba Fett and what he's up to during, this, during the same storyline. So it's kind of an interesting companion piece. So it's called Star Wars Omnibus Shadows of the Empire Volume 1. And you actually get three different series in this omnibus because uh, this sucker is – I'm looking for the page count – Oh, it doesn't say, but it's massive. You know, Dark Horse did these massive omnibuses that were, you know, like 200, 300, 400 pages, whatever. So it's a big, thick book, full color, and it includes Shadows of the Empire, the five-issue series. It includes another spinoff, which was called Shadows of the Empire Evolution, which was about one of the characters. It's so-so. But then at the end, you get Mara Jade by Emperor's Hand, which is a great miniseries. So you're getting two stellar miniseries and one not-bad one for a really great price. Normally, they go for, it goes for $24.99. With 42% off discount, you get it for $14.49, which is a heck of a deal. So pick up the Quality Companion and Star Wars Omnibus Shadows of the Empire Volume 1 at InStockTrades.com, your best online source for trades, hardcovers, and other collected editions, all for up to 42% off with free shipping for orders of $50 or more. That's me throwing it to you. Yeah. Well, okay. Well, I no. All right. Never. Mind. Oh, that was a dramatic pause. Yes. Good lord, Shag. Come on. We should have put a breath in there or something. Well, I I didn't want to do that. All right. Let's so st- let's stop it, Craig. All right. Let's stop. Yeah. All right. So let's make this quick. Uh, Aquaman number forty-two um, came out a couple of days ago. This is the uh, story is the other Atlantis by Colin Bunn, Trevor McCarthy, Jesus Marino, Walden Wong, and Guy Major. It opens with Aquaman fighting more of these interventional demon guys, and he mentioned how he mentions how a friend of his tried to get him into Magic the Gathering in high school. Uh, so I am officially old. So anyway, um, Aquaman is fighting these guys back and forth. This issue is structured very similarly to the previous issue, where it's a series of flashbacks and then flash forwards where we're seeing Aquaman in his classic suit with mirror and stuff, and then we're flashing forward to where he is currently. So uh, we flash back to this uh, scene um, with Mira, where he is telling Mira that she's going to run Atlantis while he's off on this mission. She is dubious. She's saying, no one's going to believe me. No one's going to follow me. They don't like me here. And he's like, trust me, everything will be fine. You'll be fine, blah, blah, blah. And and he sort of, uh, I mean, he's not lying, but he says, you know, I'll be back before you know it. And clearly that's not happening because, as we've seen, a bunch of months have passed since, uh, you know, since that event. 
So um, he goes back to um, – we go back to the present, and he is helping out this this race of these interdimensional people that he saved, which we saw at the end of the first issue. There's another flashback to, again, classic times where he's fighting the tendril creatures under the water. The invaders are popping up all over the place uh, in different little forms. Some of them are popping up as, like, actual monsters. Some are showing up in just weird little – bits and pieces here and there, and they are basically starting to poison our world. And we see them, again, not attacking people so much, although in some cases they are, but in other places they're just sort of showing up like in like a like a, a, a household. This is like a weird artifact, and so it's causing all this havoc. Aquaman's trying to keep up, but he can't. We then uh, flash, back once, flash back once again with Mira, then we come back to the present and Aquaman has got the dro- the drop on Aquaman is gotten by a bunch of uh, guys, including King Shark and uh, Charybdis, or however you say that name. And they are all agents of Charyb- Mira. Charyb- Charybdis. Charybdis, thank you. They're all an agent sent by Mira to wrestle Aquaman back to Atlantis. And the leader of this group is clearly Tempest. They don't call him Tempest, but he's clearly Tempest. And Aquaman sort of makes quick work of all these other guys, except leaving just him and Tempest to fight. They kind of go back and forth. Tempest says, you used to be my hero in Atlantis, but now you're sort of a wanted criminal. And Aquaman says, you can't believe what Mira tells you. And they're hitting each other with their tools there, with the trident and uh, Tempest's thing. And clank, clank, clank. The battle gets interrupted when some, some stone edifices come shooting out of the ground. And it ends up being this gigantic sort of robot slash furry creature that it's like 10, 10, 20 stories high. And that is the end of the issue. That's where it ends with, with these, with this creature coming out. And it looks like that Aquaman and Tempest, I guess are going to have to team up to fight this weird Hellboyish looking creature. And that is the end of the story. Can I go uh, first? Sure. Um, this is issue 42. So if you count the zero issue, we have already reviewed 42 issues of this series previously or in the history of this podcast. And we've been very, very positive. Um, I personally did not like this comic book. I did not enjoy reading this comic book. I have a lot of issues with this comic book. Uh, and that makes me very, very sad because for 42 months, I've been very, very positive about this series. So um, I'll let you go from that. I just I wanted to put that out there and just get it on the table. And uh, by the way, Garth... Uh, I don't know if it was maybe it's just me, but his look—he looked like he did in um, young, the Young Justice cartoon to me. Mm-hmm, you, mm-hmm. you see that? Does they see that similarity? Yeah, yeah, the blue suit. Well, the, yeah, yeah, well, yeah. The, the ponytails too, mm-hmm, kind of thing. Okay. Mm-hmm. You go ahead. I interrupted you. No, it's all right. I, I, um, I had to get that out. No, I understand. I okay. I uh, blah, blah, blah. Um, I am still a really big fan of Trevor McCarthy's work. I really like it. I genuinely really like it. I like how he handles all the flashback stuff with Aquaman and Mira. I, his stuff has a real dynamic sort of sense of movement to it, a looseness that I really enjoy. Um, I like, I said, I like the flashback scenes with him and Mira. The battle stuff isn't bad. I love the monster at the end. It has kind of a Paul Pope kind of looseness. I'm a huge yeah. fan of Paul yeah. Pope. So I really genuinely like Trevor McCarthy's work. I think he's an interesting choice for this series. I am very disappointed that he did not do this entire book Um, because there were some pages in here where I think he must have just done maybe some breakdowns. This is embellishers is what they say. Right, which is kind of a more than anchor, you know, whatever. Um, So – but but it's more than just that the fact that he's not inking it. There are some pages where the anatomy is different. 
mm-hmm. there's there's a whole page where Aquaman is talking to this one like seaweed looking dude, and it just looks like it's a completely drawn by someone completely different. And not only did these styles not match, I thought that those pages were vastly inferior to what McCarthy is doing. And I was really disappointed that two issues into this new beginning, they're already running fill-ins. And, you know, look, I've been an artist off and on for 20 years. I know how deadlines work. And so, you know, something could have happened. Uh, But that said, you know, DC, if you're going to promote a bold new direction for Aquaman by Cullen Bond and Trevor McCarthy, I damn it want Cullen Bond and Trevor McCarthy. Not fill-ins, not you know, not replacements. A, a month into this new run, and if by the second month Trevor McCarthy comes to you and says, "I can't get this done," then you say, "Well, we're going to push Aquaman's release back a bit." I mean, all the books got delayed because of convergence. They could have started Aquaman a couple months later and given McCarthy time to do the book himself, but they didn't. And so, you know. Uh, as you mentioned, we've always been very – we always look for the positive uh, aspects of these things because who wants to just you know, be a comic book fan who's just crapping on something because you, know, you can get that anywhere. Right. Um, but I was really disappointed by that. And again, that's, I'm not blaming McCarthy. He, you can't get it done. You can't get it done. But I'm blaming DC. But wouldn't he have had two extra months with Convergence going on anyway? Right. I'm right. What I'm saying is he's working on these books before they're released. So they this book, number 42, was in production while Convergence number one was coming out. Right. At that point, DC should have said, okay, you can't get number 42 done yet? Well, we're not starting Aquaman. We're not putting out Aquaman number 41 when we plan that. Yeah. We want to give you time. But they didn't do that. And so they got fill-ins. And again, if you're going to upset the apple cart, which is getting rid of Jeff Parker and Paul Pelletier – you got to stick with this team, and the fact that we're already doing fill-ins a second month into this, to me, is a, a really bad decision. So that's that part. Um, and then on the writing end of it, um, you know, the part where Aquaman tells Mira everything is going to be fine, you'll be fine in Atlantis, Arthur is either being willfully stupid or he's lying to Mira. Because just a couple months ago in this very series – a bunch of members of the Atlantean Royal Guard tried to kill Mira. And here he is saying, oh, no, everything will be fine. I mean, it really is the equivalent of the Secret Service going to Obama and saying, no, you'll be fine. We're going to go off this other project. You'll be fine. Just stay here in the White House. Um, Okay, I'll argue that point with you for just a moment. And just because when he left last time, she was, they did try and kill her, but she handled it. And in his mind, he probably does think he's going to be right back. So I, I didn't have a problem with that piece of it. In fact, I didn't have a problem with any of the flashbacks. I was fine with the flashbacks. And it's not an issue of, of me having a, a problem with the new direction necessarily. Like, I can't stand change. Uh, I just thought, I thought the flashbacks were okay. So, Okay. Um, yeah, that I just I, – that it just to me made Aquaman look like a dope that he and, – and even if you think he can handle it, he's putting his wife in danger and he's being very dismissive of it. And the, the, the dialogue true. is very like, oh, you'll be fine. He's not talking to her like he's an equal. He's talking to her like she's a uh, – like a just, you know, the dumb little lady and he's got to mm-hmm. pat her on the head. And she's not. She's Mira as they've established that she is his partner here and she does not deserve to be treated that way. So that scene bothered me. And then once again, and I've said this a thousand times and for people that have been reading the Shrine for years, I'm sure they're tired of me bringing this up. 
But my God, I don't understand why writers are so determined to drag Aquaman back to Atlantis. They keep doing it. Even Jeff Johns did it. And Jeff Johns did more than any other writer I can think of to establish Aquaman as a solo, workable superhero with a you know, a, a setting, Amnesty Bay, all his own that he could protect. And then they dragged him right back to Atlantis. And here's this scene of him in Atlantis saying, everyone in Atlantis is mad at me because I have to go off on this mission. Dear God, Steve Skeets was doing this plot in the <laughs> 60s. And we are now 90 Aquaman writers later, and they're still doing it. And I just don't get it. I don't understand why these writers have to just keep dragging him back to Atlantis. I, I just – so – and my main issue, again, with anything else is if you're going to upset – I'm using this metaphor again. I apologize. If you're going to upset the apple cart in that you're going to get rid of a team that was working critically and working, as far as I knew, on a sales level, which was Parker and Pelletier, you have to really have a justifiable reason for doing that. And right now, I'm not getting that. I'm not getting that. Uh, you know, so, I mean, I'm still enjoying it because it's still Aquaman and it is still the same Aquaman character. And I know that this is a journey that they're putting through at the end. He'll be reunited with Mirror and yada, yada, yada. Uh, and I'm like, the, I like the Tempest is back. And I still really do love Trevor McCarthy's work. But two months in now, I'm less confident that this change was necessary than I was when we did the last issue. And... That's a concern because I, you know, if you go back and listen to the older shows, I was really worried that Aquaman was going to sink without Jeff Johns. And they they managed to find a team that took it, took the ball and ran with it. And now, you know, DC's shot, jabbed themselves in the foot with the Trident. And I'm just a little <laughs> concerned. And if you go to the Aquaman page on Facebook that DC runs, people are friggin' upset. I mean, people are just like, I'm not buying this book anymore. Blah, blah, blah. And, you know, comic book fans getting mad on the internet. Right, well, what a shock there. <laughs> Let me see if we can deal with that. You know, But just, I, again, it's like if you're going to make a major change, it needs to be creatively justified. And I'm a little nervous here with this second installment that we're headed in kind of a wrong direction. And on top of all that, the plot really doesn't move forward that much. I mean, you really could have read the first issue and gotten the same point that we are here, except that, okay, we've worked Tempest into it. So, yeah, I, sorry, go ahead. You know, it's it's Aquaman saying the same kind of dialogue over and over. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to kill these people. I don't want to do that. Well, he said that last issue. Yep. And you know, and the other point I'll make about the art is like you know, in the old days, in the old days, back when I was a kid in the in the seventies when dinosaurs roamed the earth and comic books were a quarter. You had to deal with the fact that the M hands credit would appear in your comic books occasionally. But comic books are three ninety nine now. And if you're going to promise me, again, Cullen Bunn and Trevor McCarthy on the cover, give me Cullen Bunn and Trevor McCarthy, not Trevor McCarthy and a cast of favorites. So, you know, I, again, I'm trying to be positive. I'm really – it's one issue in a series, and it's not like I'm not going to get every issue of Aquaman DC puts out. But I read this and just kind of went, ooh, boy. So that's where we are to me for Aquaman 42. You are more positive than I am right now, which is unfortunate because, again, we, as you, we talked about the positivity we try in the show. I, I, can't, I couldn't get there. I, with the first issue I, said, I remember saying on the show, I'm like, I'm not sure if this is going to be for me or not. Second issue, I'm now confident after two months 
and what is it? Three ninety nine, two ninety nine, um, three ninety nine. Okay, eight bucks later, it's not for me anymore. Um, I'm going to continue to read it, and because you kind of know sooner or later the creative team will change and it'll be good again at some point. But for me, this is not an enjoyable comic book. You mentioned everything about the story. You hit all the points I would. Um, the art. You're more of a fan of it than I am right now. The 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 fill-in artists were extremely jarring and made it very unpleasant for me as a reading experience. Now, from a editorial point of view, I don't understand what DC thinks they're doing. You're talking about upsetting the apple cart, and they've got you know they have to have a good reason. Dan DiDio was there in 2005 after Infinite Crisis when they switched to sort of Atlantis. It was a bold new move. It was a valid effort, you know, it didn't work. It was a fun, it was a sales failure. But at least they were trying something different with an Aquaman title that was struggling. Well, this is the same book for the most part. If you look at it, you've got Aquaman. You've got a time jump, which is what you had with sort of a lineage. You had a year jump here. You've got another time jump. It's been months. Aquaman is now an enemy of the state with Atlantis and on the run. Same thing as it was there. Mara's in charge of Atlantis, hunting him down. Same thing as it was there. Um, Aquaman in that series was being advised by a weird-looking tentacle-like wizard person. Yeah, he's got one now that's seaweed rather than tentacles. Wizard person advising him. King Shark shows up. King Shark shows up. Um, oh, gosh, what else? Uh, uh, the scratchy art. You've got scratchy art. Uh, it's more savage, more barbarian. It's, this feels exactly like sort of Atlantis was. Now, I have reread sort of Atlantis since then. I've read Curb Music, and I really enjoyed it. And maybe in a couple years, I'll reread this and, and get more joy out of it than I do right now. But right now, three, four months ago before Convergence, DC had a hot-selling title about Aquaman and Mera beating the crap out of monsters that was doing really well. It sold well. And I have to imagine that this is really going to suffer in sales. Yeah. And that, that scares me. Um, not because DC is going to give up on Aquaman. They got a movie coming, and so of course they're going to continue to support him anyway. But it's just I don't want the Aquaman series to fail. It took so many years to get a top-selling book. I want it to succeed so badly, and I this comic book it doesn't give me the, the 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 confidence that it's going to succeed. Yeah. Yep. Aquaman was improbably the biggest hit out of the new Fifty Two. Yeah. And they were cruising along, and then for them to kind of just go out of their way to do this, it just, it just makes everybody just kind of shake their head like, what is going on? But, you know, again, Colin Bunn said give him a couple of issues, and we're, again, I, it's not like I have a choice. I'm going to buy every issue of Aquaman. It doesn't matter who does it. So, you know, and like I said, I really do like the artwork. I seem to be in the minority in that case, which is fine. I really like the guy's work, and I've gotten to tell, tell him that um, – over Facebook, which is nice because I really do believe I'm not just blowing smoke. I really genuinely like it. And the fact that he didn't do the whole book made me angry. <laughs> you know, I was just like, <laughs> what the hell? So I mean, the, the pages he does are, are, are pretty cool and moody. I told you before that I didn't feel like they were right for me for Aquaman. But, like, you know, I recognize his art is really good. It just I don't feel like it's right for an Aquaman right, book, you know. Right. It's, sure, it, but, but you know, I felt the same way when um, Tom Mandrake took over Firestorm on the Elemental mm-hmm. Run. And then, you know, three months in, I was like, oh, my gosh, this is amazing. And I still think Tom Mandrake's Elemental Firestorm, like, he is the right guy for that book. So, you know, I don't know. I'm, I'm try- even, even, in my, even in my disparity, I'm trying to be positive, I suppose. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
right. So anyway, yeah, that's Aquaman 42. Whee! <laughs> well, um, oddly enough, the Firestorm issue, there's nothing wrong with it, I should say. But we don't have a lot to say on this one either, and you'll find out why in a second, folks. Um, all right, we are going to talk about The Fury of Firestorm, The Nuclear Man, issue number 22, cover dated uh, April 1984. But if you want a pristine copy of this, folks, you're going to have to give a call to ha- your buddy Hackerman and get him to hack some time for you back to January 5th, 1984. That's right. You're at the dawn of 1984, better known as the year they gave us Max Headroom. So um, what this issue is, it is a retelling of Firestorm's origin. And I, may, I mentioned on the show, and I don't know if you guys heard it or were listening. You probably don't listen when I talk anyway. But uh, a couple of weeks ago or months ago, I was on um, Ryan Daly's Secret Origins podcast. I guess it's a couple of weeks ago. And we covered the issue of, that featured Firestorm. And it was a very different tale. It was uh, Martin Stein's origin. Not really Firestorm's origin at all. It was Martin Stein's origin. It was a very different story. Well, I now realize why it was that. Because this comic existed in 1984. So two years later... When they do the Secret Origins tale, I guess they just felt like they couldn't just reprint a story they did two years before, so they had to tell it a different version. Because this this is the comic that should have appeared in Secret Origins right here. So, Ryan, if you're listening, go pick up Fury of Firestorm number 22 and just slip it into your collection next to Secret Origins number 4, and it'll all work out just fine. All right, so you've got a cover by Raphael Cayannon and Dick Giordano. Really nice cover. It's got Firestorm in the foreground, flaming out, doing jazz hands, um... Firehawks behind him, flaming, flying up without a perm. Thank you. And in the background, you've got sort of a cadre of Firestorm's villains. You've got Hyena, Killer Frost, Black Bison, Multiplex, um, Tokamak, Tokamak. And if you just added Doreen Day there, you'd have his full rogues gallery. Uh, you've also, you see Ronnie, oh, come on. That doesn't get a laugh. That was a I, good line. I, yeah, I guess so. Oh, you weren't even paying attention. Okay. Huh? Then you've what? Got, I'm sorry. You've got Ronnie and the Professor there as well. It's a, it's a very nice cover. Now, Here's the interesting thing. You know, Raphael Cannon's a regular artist now. We've got a guest artist this issue. Guest artist, huh? It's actually Pat Broderick. How weird is that to see his name as guest artist? Very strange. Now, uh, the, 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 the team on this one, on the inside, is uh, Jerry Conway, Jerry and Carla Conway, which was Jerry's wife at the time. Pat Broderick is listed as, again, the pens- guest artist. Uh, then you've got Sal Trapini. Trapani, I believe, South Trapani, okay. as the embellisher, and Carl Gafford as a colorist. And um, Sal actually has been drawing for, at this point, a long time. Like, he goes all the way back to 1953, drawing comic books. And if you're looking for some things that he's more well-known for, um, back then would be like Metamorpho, Incredible Hulk, or some of the ones he had some longer runs on. You might know him from some stuff, Rob, too. I'm not familiar. But it, it's very fair to say, as you read this, though, that obviously Pat's pencils were very, you know, either layouts or very, very loose, and Sal did the majority of it. Because, I mean, it's, with the exception of a couple panels, you would never guess this is a, a Pat Roger comic. Right. Would you say it's a fair assessment? Yeah, yeah, it would. Yeah. And it's not bad art. It's just not Pat's normal. I mean, Pat was a superstar at this point. You know, he was like Michael Golden-level amazing. Sal, and, uh, Sal, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Sal yeah. Trapani was, again, not a, not a slur on his talent, but he was kind of like your classic classic fill-in guy who could could deliver competent you know decent work probably very quickly but not a guy that like anybody was going to be like oh get me sal trapani on that book okay you know that kind of guy gotcha a a, a utility player i guess to use a sports metaphor yeah i follow you yeah yeah okay 
So the issue starts off, and uh, Firestorm is hanging out talking to Firehawk. And because last issue, if you recall, Firestorm had been stabbed by an icicle from Killer Frost and was really injured and went to, her, went to Lorraine Riley's house and collapsed. Well, she has nursed him back to health. That would have been a couple of interesting pages to see. But anyway, she nursed him back to health. And now she says, look, you kind of owe me here. I got you back on your feet. I... It sounds terrible. <laughs> then the music came up. Watch your, watch your, watch your. I have no um, money in which to pay you, Firehawk. Right. <laughs> Yeah, she says, I want to know who you are and your secret origin. Because all this time, I mean, they've been hanging out together since issue one, him and Lorraine Lively, and they've never revealed his origin. So he, um, she talks him into it. Professor Stein is opposed to it. He says, no, you can't do it. Don't, sh- don't tell her. And Ronnie decides to go for it anyway. So he tells Firehawk his secret origin, which provides the framing sequence, really, for this whole issue. Now, here's where the recap's going to stop. Normally, I would recap the whole comic for you. I'm not going to do that because we have talked about Firestorm the Nuclear Man number one several times on this show. And I'm talking about the very first appearance of Firestorm. This comic is a retelling of issue number one, sometimes frame for frame, just redrawn frame, and many times with the exact same dialogue. So I'm not going to waste your time with that, but I will touch on a few things. I, I sat down with the comic and looked at it side by side with issue number one to see what the similarities are. One of the nice touches is when they start the flashback, the Firestorm's remembering, and then there's a scene of Firestorm flying. It does, they don't explain it, but it's Firestorm flying, swooping through the air and flying, and then immediately goes into Ronnie as a kid. So they don't explain that frame, but if you look at number one, you recall that the very first page of Firestorm number one is him flying in a similar pose with those doves by him. So that's actually a nice nod to Al Milgram's first page of Firestorm, which is kind of cool. Let's see. The dialogue in the beginning, and keep in mind, Jerry had an assist on this one. He had Carla, his wife, helping him. So I wonder if she sort of came in as an editor. I'm, I'm totally supposition here. I don't know. But maybe she came in as an editor on the original book, and looked for places Jerry could have fleshed things out. I don't know. But in the beginning here, the dialogue is slightly different. They do change word balloons. Some of the dialogue is more fleshed out here for the first. As the story goes along, about, I don't know, a third of the way through it, they stop changing. It's almost like they just said, ah, it's good enough, or they ran out of time, because then it becomes exactly the same words from the original Jerry Conway script. So, And, and again, Pat Broderick is redrawing the exact same panels. In fact, there's even some, like, uh, there's an interesting... Uh, subplot with, with Principal Hapgood where he's looking down on Ronnie and he's like, oh, poor Ronnie. I should probably check in on him. Which the scene is, is meaningless. But it's a subplot set up for a story that happened later on. It, they even leave that in there. I mean, they leave lots of little sub, dangling subplot pieces in there that didn't belong in a retelling of his origin, but simply because they could, they're rejoin the panels. Um, the clothes stay pretty much the same. Uh, the teacher's tie is even identical. Uh, but then the coloring is slightly different. Let's see what else. they've included a couple of lines that I love. The Doreen calls Cliff a retarded oyster. I always thought that's hysterical. I don't even know what that means, but I think it's hilarious. And it's from the original. It's in this one. Uh, Professor Stein says hell. He goes hell and double hell. Which is what a great curse word. It sounds like something Shatner would have said in Star Trek Six, you know, or Star Trek Four. Let's see. Um, Stein's pipe smoking his pipe. By the by, this point it is literally just shot for shot redo. Uh, they've included Danton Black in the subplot with Multiplex. Um, now, there's only one thing in here that's a little strange, but it was strange, and, and, and I'm kind of surprised they didn't change it. I, did, when you're reading this, you may have noticed, Rob, there was a scene where Firestorm, uh, when he first becomes Firestorm, where he actually splits, and Ronnie and the professor have sort of a talk face-to-face on the astral plane. 
And that was kind of weird because normally you don't see Ronnie on there. And what, what what's sort of happening is they're telling you that Firestorm is a composite being and then the composite being separate in his mind and Ronnie is looking at the professor and having a you know mentally as astral projections like there's Firestorm's body and you see a, a Ronnie head and a Stein head and they're actually having a conversation. That never happened after issue one. It did happen in the original number one and it was very strange because it didn't match up with Firestorm later on because Ronnie never a- appeared like that. But they included it here. You would think they would sort of you know, wash away that because it didn't match current continuity, but they kept that in here as well. Um, other than that, I mean, that's 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 really it uh, as far as the origin goes. I'm gonna I'm just gonna skip right on to the end. After he finishes his origin, he's talking with Killer. I'm not Killer Frost. He's talking with Firehawk, and she's asking, "So, what's the deal? Are you Ronnie Raymond or are you Professor Stein?" And he's like, "I'm both." And uh, they talk about the age difference, and he actually says, look, you know, if you, if you were to split the difference between me and Professor Stein's age, I'm still older than you. So, uh, that, you know, that made an interesting point, because, you know, she's, she's a grad, a, a college-age person, and he's a high school kid. But by pointing out the age difference between him and Stein, she, he's still older than her. So she's like, oh, okay. And then you, you, he mentioned, Ronnie mentions his friends. He goes, you know, one of the things I do as Firestorm is I protect my friends, which... Again, it would be good for a Secret Origins comic because it's sort of filling you in on Firestorm's personality. But he mentions Lorraine Riley, I'm sorry, Doreen Day, uh, his friend Jackson, and Cliff Carmichael. And then Firehawk gets jealous. And she's like, basically, she says, oh, you know, you protect your friends, especially Doreen, huh? And, Ron, and Firestorm basically says, he goes, look, I like you. Uh, I don't want to hurt Doreen, though. You know, if you want to be with me, that's up to you. So he, he he flies away. He does the whole, you know, if you love something, let it go kind of thing. He flies away, says, it's up to you whether we're going to be together or not, but I'd really like to be with you. And so she sits there for a minute, and then she gets all catfighty. She's like, you know, maybe he is younger than I am, but so what? Age isn't everything. And that goes on about um, he's got some qualities that are hard to find in anyone. So, Doreen Day, watch out. I'm making my move on this man. May the best woman win. It's like, wow. Okay. That's a, it's a mic drop move of Firestorm. <laughs> so she uh, she flies off. And then at this point, you actually see Jackson, and uh, whose name used to be Jefferson. There's a I don't know if his name is Jackson Jefferson or Jefferson Jackson, maybe. <laughs> anyway, um, so you see Cliff and Jackson and Doreen are out. They're, watch, they're going to see a movie. Ronnie was supposed to go with them, but he didn't show up, and they're all kind of talking about it. Anyway, they see Firehawk and Firestorm fly by, and they're like, wow. Like, everyone stops, and it's just stopping in awe of Firehawk. They're like, wow, she's gorgeous. She's beautiful. You know, and then what Cliff and Ron, uh, Cliff and Doreen and Jackson are saying is like, wow, there's a couple that's in love. And they can see the sparks <laughs> flying between these two people. And Doreen says she suddenly feels very cold. And then there's a cartoon drawing of Ed McMahon, which is pretty cool. But that's a whole different story. And uh, um, then they kind of say that, you know, Ronnie and or Firestorm and Firehawk are, are a team now. And um, it, it really is. It's a good standalone issue and would have worked perfect for the Secret Origins comic. It really would have. Because it's, it's almost set up for people that have never read Firestorm before. So, what did you think of it? You know, when I first looked at it, I thought it was like a fill-in. Like, it was cl- like like done as an inventory story, and then they just repurposed it. And then I realized, well, no, because it's got all the current storyline stuff and Firehawk. And so, clearly, it was made to order. But I am curious as to sort of why this was done. It feels like they needed an extra month to do the next set. Maybe it was, you know, to give uh, Raphael Kanan another month. Because this is really the all the story just sort of stops for this origin story, which we already all know. 
Um, I mean, this reminded me of the fact that we saw a little clip of Bruce of Batman's origin in the Superman Batman movie trailer. Like, really? Again? With the origin? <laughs> so it's like nobody needs to hear Firestorm's origin again, especially a book-length version. But, you know, and I guess you haven't maybe talked to Jerry about this. I would love to know from Jerry, why did why was this written? Was this done again? Was it to give the artist a month? What, did, he, did he himself need a month to move something? Was this scheduled for some other reason? It's just – it's a very peculiar – break in the story especially since the last issue ends up such a cliffhanger i mean he he's laying there like dead almost dead you're like oh my god what's gonna happen in the next issue he's like oh yeah i'm fine by the way here's my origin uh and i'm gonna talk about myself in the third person using my logo and my word balloon so it's just a very strange <laughs> i mean i enjoyed it and it, it, it you're right it would work perfectly as a secret origins uh, issue but it's just it's, it's just uh, strange it is unusual now to be fair it had been six years since Firestorm, since number one had been published, which back then in comic book time is a lifetime. Well, that's true. If you follow, if you follow Julie Schwartz philosophy of you know the comic book reading population turns over every three years, I think it was or five years. I mean, this is a whole new generation reading the comics. Right. And as far as anyone was concerned, the Implosion comics didn't sell well. So you know there probably weren't a lot of copies of Firestorm well, around. Yeah, but I mean his origin got retold in like one or two panels here and there, though. Sure. Well, that's well, that's what I'm saying. It's like well, but I mean, you know, I guess I'm just saying in the '70s, Secret Origins reprint comics were pretty popular. You know, they did a lot of them. That's and true. And so retelling a character's origin wasn't that far out of line. And here you are, two years into this series now, pretty much. You're almost at the two year mark, and you know what? It's been six years since that origin was told. It, you know, it doesn't seem unreasonable. Well, but right. yes, it could have been that they needed more time. Yeah, I mean, I mean they re- they retell his origin in JLA number one seventy nine, where he joins the Justice League. Was it how much? How long was it? That was like? nine. Well, it was only a couple a of page? panels, but they still did it. I mean, it, that's what it felt like. It felt like every time Firestorm ever had a conversation at any moment, he was like, "Well, as we all know, I'm you know, <laughs> professor," and they're like, "Oh my god, here he goes again telling this well, story." He was a confusing character. They kind of had to. Well, that's true. That's true. It is a relatively complicated origin. That yeah. So yeah, I, I, it, it just, I will, I it's will just a peculiarly Jerry. paced thing. It, again, it wasn't bad. It just it just seems sort of funny. I will ask Jerry next time I talk to him. Uh, I am working on having a conversation with him. I, I've actually he and I have been in touch since the new Firestorm series was announced, and he just said it's too early to talk about anything. He just said well, there's nothing course, to talk about sure, yet. So sure. he said we'll talk later. So I'll ask him. I know exactly what his answer is going to be. He's going to laugh at me. He's going to go, come on, are you serious? That was 30 years ago. <laughs> what are, you, are you really asking that question? So, but, you know, I'll ask him. We'll see. All right. Um, what do you think of the art? It's uh, The Broderick stuff is nice, as, as always. I like Pat Broderick. The Sal Trapani stuff is fine. Not bad. It's, it's fine. It's just fine. It, it's, it's, he was a guy that could deliver you a serviceable, printable comic book. Probably on very short deadlines. Uh, that's unfortunately some guys really got pegged as that, and they never got a chance to do like really great. Like Al Milgram, you know, I got famous for sort of being a guy that could crank a book out really quickly. And then once you tell somebody that you can get the work done in two weeks, that's all you ever get. Yeah. Um, so you know, it's perfectly fine. It's nothing exceptional. Uh, it's not. It, it's it's kind of a generic style. Broderick style is not that way, and Kyanon certainly not. So this is just sort of like okay, this it's this is a really straightforward, straight ahead origin story of Firestorm. Firehawk's kind of hot in this. Yes, so. it's a very well designed character. That's a really, I, I I think that's 
probably the best design, better design than Firestorm. And it really is a shame that they never did like a superpowers figure. That would have been like amazing because I think it's a really sharp looking this costume and then the later one, the the blue and orange. The next costume is even better. Yeah, the next one's even better. Yeah. Yeah, the asymmetrical look on it's just really. Everybody loves blue and orange. It's the best color combination out there. It really is for some reason. Yeah. Yeah. Not green and orange because that looks terrible, but. Now, well, blue, um, blue and orange are contrasting colors on the color scale, and that's why it looks so pleasant. You know, there's there's, a, there's some funny ads in this one. I mentioned the uh, one with Ed McMahon. I mean, I don't know if I don't know if you had the ad in your version or not, but it's it's actually an ad for something I'd never heard of. It's for the GIs. Yes. Uh, oh, doing the recordings. Yes. Yeah. Drawn by Joe Kubert. Yeah. Yep. So the, it's the first two rows. The strips are. Uh, Sergeant Rock. Yep. And then Ed McMahon comes in to give his little endorsement, but it's the Veterans Bedside Network. It sounds really like a neat idea. That thing has haunted me because in that one panel where it shows you, I don't have the ad in front of me, but I have committed it to memory. The one panel where you see them recording the show, that is dialogue from MASH. He says says Hot Lips. Right, he says Hot Lips. And I even know what episode that's from. And I remember thinking, there are there recordings out there of MASH episodes done by veterans? I'd love to hear that. And I actually wrote about wow. it on my MASH blog. And a couple people left comments, and one guy even sent me a link to the Veterans Network, which is still a thing. Hmm. And I wrote them to say, is there any chance that these were recorded and kept? And nobody ever got back to me. Yeah. So I don't know. But, yeah, I am haunted at the idea that there are, like, live cast recordings of MASH episodes out there. Just, by real veterans. That by real be, veterans. That would be like be amazing. I'd love to hear those, but I've never been able to track any of them down. That's a cool idea. Well, there's also um, there's a Masters of the Universe ad in here, which looks like the first page of the free mini comic, the 16 page mini comic. Right, right. started. So I thought I was like, oh god, that thing again, you know? And I was like, oh. And then uh, lastly, there's an ad for Atari's Joust, which you know is whatever. There's always video games ads and things. But listen to the way it starts. Long ago, in the distant future. <laughs> what? What the hell is that? Were you just pulling somebody's leg to see if they'd notice? <laughs> Crack me up. So, all right, folks, uh, we're going to take a break, and on the other side, we're going to come back with your feedback, which we're very excited to do. Uh, in the meantime, you're going to hear a couple of podcast promos, and then right before we come back. We're, we've got some audio that we're going to play from Victor Garber, the man who plays Professor Stein on The Flash and in the upcoming Legends of Tomorrow series. So uh, this is from San Diego Comic-Con. So it is uh, it is relevant to Firestorm against Victor Garber. You want to credit who we got it from? I was going to do that on the back. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. We should have rehearsed that. All right. <laughs> That's perfectly fine. So, folks, uh, enjoy the promos and enjoy listening to Victor Garber, uh, Professor Stein himself. I prowl the rooftops and alleyways at night, searching for justice. Blind justice. A guardian devil. (coughs) No, 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 that's not actually true. I'm not Daredevil, blind attorney by day and fearless crime fighter by night. No, I am J. David Weeder, a podcaster, but you can call me Dave. I do read about Daredevil and his adventures, and I podcast about it on my show, Dave's Daredevil Podcast. You see, it's, it's my Daredevil, you get it, you get it. Every Sunday, I read a Daredevil comic and share my thoughts and feelings on the issue, the characters, and the world of Marvel's Man Without Fear in an easily accessible audio form. And I want to take you along for the ride, so tune in each week as we meet Daredevil, his villains, his loves, and more hornhead goodness than you can shake a billy club at. That is every Sunday on iTunes and at www.daredevilpodcast.com. 
That is daredevilpodcast.com. Take the dare. Listen to Dave's Daredevil Podcast. Did I really just say take the dare? I'm Mike Gillis. And I'm Casey Dorn. And we want to ask you an important question. Are you sick and tired of other panel discussion shows wasting your time droning on and on about foreign policy, economics, and human rights? Or do you want to hear conversations about things that actually matter? We host a podcast called Radio vs. the Martians. Every month we gather a panel of our nation's finest minds and plunge a rusty prison shank into the heart of tough questions that have an impact on the lives of real people like you. Like, are drivers required to pull over for the Ghostbusters? Is the United Federation of Planets actually an oppressive dictatorship run by guidance counselors? Is Arnold Schwarzenegger secretly a genius? And are we being mean when we laugh at movies that are so bad they're good? So write your congressman and let them know that Radio vs. the Martians is available on iTunes, Stitcher, and on RadioVsTheMartians.com. Say when. Hey, Shag. Fire and water water podcast uh i love you and thank you for watching and stay tuned for legends of tomorrow and i hope you you will like it and i hope you'll see well you'll see what happens all right folks we're back from break and now it's time for and before we get to the feedback yeah we got to talk about that yes oh my gosh it was Victor Garber talking about the Firewater podcast. Holy crap. That was amazing. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes, the credit goes to Josh Bertoni. Uh, Josh Bertoni was at San Diego Comic-Con. Uh, he had a press pass, and he was in the, the, the Flash room, and he was talking to Victor Garber, and he actually told Victor a little bit about me and the show and stuff, and he asked Victor to record that. And he sent it to me. And, dude, I mean, thank God I was sitting down when I played that. Because I'm like, you know, I, I get it, and it's it's you know it's a little blurry the video, and uh, I'm like, huh, looks a little bit like a blurry Victor Garber, huh? And then I hit it, and he goes shag, and I'm like, oh, 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 oh. <laughs> my wife actually recognized Victor Garber's voice from around across the room and came running. She's like, what? You know, and well, I, he was I, in Titanic, and all women have committed Titanic to memory. I uh, I I can't count the number of times I've watched that. Uh, as you like to say, I'm going to dine out on that for a week. I I'm I'm dining out on that for the rest of my life. So uh, extreme extreme thanks to our good buddy Josh Bertoni for that. I I can't thank him enough. That yeah, was, that was amazing. Wow. As as I said at the time, I'm I'm currently accepting offers. If anyone wants to get Jason Momoa to say something similar, but uh, I think the odds of that are probably slim. Uh, at least to the fact that uh, he won't say it without dropping the f bomb three times in one sentence and probably giving somebody the finger. So I'm not holding my breath. Wow, you're such a positive little spirit. Uh, I'm just going by the photos I've seen of Mr. Momoa. <laughs> okay. I saw him at a convention when he was uh, just after he got off Stargate Atlantis. He was hilarious. He was hysterical on the Stargate Atlantis panel. Um, they they obviously had a lot of fun on that show. So, all right. So we are going to be doing listener feedback, and now this is specific uh, to episode. I don't know, 131, whatever it was, where we covered the previous issues of Firestorm and Aquaman. So it's a lot of feedback, but it's specific to that issue. So if you've written in on other stuff or general content, uh, we will get to that when we do a big feedback episode. But for right now, we're just covering this from the last issues of Firestorm and Aquaman. Yeah, we got an email from Jeff Peterson. He says, Dear Rob and Shag, I'm not much of a participant, but I really enjoy your show when I listen to every episode. It adds to my enjoyment of all things Aquaman since I really have no one to talk to about this stuff with. Well, no one that cares anyway. 
Me, me too, Jeff. Me too. Uh, I'm not really sold on this Firestorm guy. Me too, Jeff. Me too. But Shag's enthusiasm is infectious, even when faced with Rob's barely contained ambivalence. I didn't even I realize agree, I was Jeff. even trying. I agree. I didn't know I was even really containing it at all. I also find it therapeutic to know that there are people more obsessive than myself out there, so thanks for that. But I think that the true measure of the show's quality is that I enjoy the episodes covering topics I'd be otherwise disinterested in. You guys have a great chemistry. And your banter is always fun. Maybe he means explosive. I don't know what he's talking about. I just listened to episode 131. I wanted to chime in for a minute about Aquaman number 41. Rob touched on something that I have been worried about since news about the impending Aquaman film started trickling out. I think DC has a very corporate mentality towards its properties and make, wants to make its comic characters look very much the same as its TV and film characters. Personally, I am happy to have them, have them exist separately. I enjoyed both the Arrow TV show and the Lemire run of Green Arrow, but when they decided to make the comic character more like the TV version, they lost me. I fear that taking this corporate approach towards Aquaman will hurt the book because, as you pointed out on the show, film success has little or no effect on comic sales, but revamping the character to look more like the film version may alienate the readers that know and love this character. That being said, I enjoyed the issue. I'm very pleased that it's still a hero battling monsters instead of supervillain of the month. One of the features, in my humble opinion, that set Parker's run apart from other superhero comics is that it was packed with monsters, and I vote to keep it that way for a while longer. Well, you're clearly going to get your wish, Jeff. <laughs> uh, we got an email from uh, nuclear sub Luke Dobb. He says, I enjoyed the most recent issue of Aquaman more than I thought I would. The story is intriguing, and I'm definitely sticking with it. My biggest concern is for the future of Aquaman's costume. I love the orange and green suit, but DC constantly seems to constantly be apologizing for it, right down to Aquaman himself saying he hates orange in Justice League. Ever since Snyder tweeted the photo of Momoa as Aquaman, I've had nervous fear that the movie version of Aquaman will succeed and DC will change the character's look from the comics to match. Kind of like what happened with Green Arrow. There it is again. I really hope that doesn't happen, but I'm bracing myself. I can't say I'm a huge fan of the Swiss Army Trident either. <laughs> Lately... Lately, the Trident seems to get more airtime than Arthur's telepathy. That is so. That is completely true. I didn't even thought oh, yeah. about that, but he's right. I could do without it entirely. Whatever they do with the Trident, I struggle to find it very interesting. Aquaman's Trident serves one purpose: to be packaged with the action figure. I don't need it to be a Ginsu <laughs> knife. You know, Sorry, they, yeah, I was taking a drink when he when you read Disney, that part. Disney sells a lot of lightsabers, so it wouldn't shock me that if Warner Brothers is like, we can get in some of that action. Uh, why not? So expect to find Tridents at your local Spencer's uh, in, uh, you know, March 2016. But, you know, he's right, though. I mean, Aquaman has been packaged with the Trident going back to the Superpowers toy. Yep. But he really didn't start using the Trident until, um, I don't know, Sword of Atlantis, maybe? No, he had a sword there, didn't he? I don't know. But, uh, so, anyway. Uh, by the way, let's look, Dob, you find him at Dob Creative. Um out on the interwebs. All right, next uh, comes from Count Druncula, um, this guy we know named Ryan Daly. He does a Secret Origins podcast, a Flowers and Fish Nuts podcast dedicated to Black Canary, and a Dead Both and Spies podcast. I wholly endorse all of those shows. Uh, they're excellent shows. They're really well put together. They're very interesting, even if Ryan doesn't appear on them. Uh, he wrote, Killer Frost did appear in four issues of Fury of Firestorm. So you guys would have mentioned her on four episodes. Good. I'm sorry. This, this is a reference to you were asking about how often Killer Frost had appeared up to this point. So I'm sorry. All right. So you guys would have mentioned her on four episodes of the Fire and Water podcast. Maybe that's why Rob thinks she appeared in so much in the story. On the other hand, she also appeared in the first Firestorm series, an issue of DC Comics Presents, and three issues of the Conway written Justice League of America where she joined the Secret Society of Supervillains. So yeah, she did have about ten appearances in just five years. It's clear Jerry Conway favored her. Yeah, 
That's a very fair statement. Yep, there you I would agree. Uh, we're from our buddy Michael Kiraskiro, and I'm just going to pull out some of the stuff. He's, um, he is talking about um, some of his concerns with the current Aquaman book, just based on issue 41. He says, um, sometimes you aren't being a snarky fanboy. Sometimes you just don't like something. Uh, I'm not enamored with this soft Aquaman reboot. Uh, he says, he, and again, I'm pulling just almost even slices of his uh, sentences here. Uh, I wanted more from the Parker Pelletier. Uh, I'm not exactly excited about the prospect of Aquaman in the comics being made to resemble Momo in the films. Uh, I'm not into the art all that uh, at all. It's too s- stiff and too scratchy for me. And then um, in regard to Firestorm, he says, what a great Bronze Age cover in that issue of Firestorm. It seems like Killer Frost... Uh, I'm sorry. It seems like Killer Frost made for a great sparring partner with Firestorm back in the day. I need to find some more of these back issues with her in them. I believe I had the previous ones from the Broderick era at this point. I didn't realize how much I liked her from this era until recently. She is a great villain, isn't she? And I love that dress she wears. The uh, This is Shag, I'm sorry. That fancy sort of ball gown dress just is really, really sets her off. Great look. Hmm. Uh, Earth 2 Chris wrote in. He, of course, does the Supermates podcast and co-hosts the Power Records podcast with me. I hate unnecessary reboots, soft or otherwise. This new Aquaman doesn't look bad, but you really have to question the thinking here. At a glance, the mainstream DC, you, the mainstream DCU books look like someone in editorial said, how can we get these characters as far away as possible from their iconic, recognizable, and highly marketable looks? Crew-cut T-shirt wearing Superman with an exposed secret ID? Check. Jim Gordon in Gundam bunny armor saying he's Batman? <laughs> Check. Green Lantern in a hoodie? Check. Aquaman in a Suns Out, Guns Out shirt with He-Man's power sword? Check. He makes many good points there in a very short paragraph. Yes, he does. Uh, I heard from Neil Stan... Well, actually, I heard from several people, but it was brought to my attention by Siskoid that Aquaman's belt looks very phallic. Um, Not only does it look phallic, it looks like sex. It looks like a... Uh, it looks like the guy parts and the girl parts. And I said, you know, I, I mentioned the guy part is the reference to the term phallic. And I didn't know how you describe the woman parts. You know, what's the term for that? Well, Neil Stanifer, Army of Skanks, and Martin Stein Returns, which is our buddy Robert Gross, all was kind enough to write back uh, that the term is Yonic, Y-O-N-I-C. So that's the female equivalent of phallic. So there you go, kids. The more you know. Um, well, see, now Robert Gross said it was Volvic. Not Yonic. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't even notice the difference there. He did say that, didn't he? Well, I've got two Yonics, one Volvic, so I'm going with Yonic. And Neil Stanifer wrote me back immediately, and he said he's like he's like a really big brain scientist guy, I want to say. Or, or he's got a, bit, a bunch of degrees. Because so. I was teasing him about that. I'm like, you just knew that right off the top of your head. And he goes, well, you know, i got to do something with this degree. So <laughs> uh, We heard from our buddy Diablo Frank, who is now the king of podcasting, I believe. He's, he's sort of the Casey Kasem of uh, podcast voice work. Um, he, uh, you can find all his stuff under the Rolled Spine Podcast Network. But he's got shows such as the Marvel Superheroes Podcast, the Underguides, which is about independent comics. He's got one called DC Bloodlines, which also covers the power of the atom, which is the atom man captain adam he's got diana prince wonder woman and idol head of diablo all of them are a hoot um the marvel one is sort of his probably their 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 key or core show uh it, it's a lot of fun but the the dc ones because i'm more of a dc guy are are kind of where i find my real joy when i listen it's a lot of fun can i say it's really funny that an old episode used to make fun of me for my simpsons references because they were so out of date and then you just made a reference to casey Kasem when you really could have said ryan seacrest Casey oh. Kasem hosted shows in the 80s. Ryan Seacrest well, I'm talking about 
Well, I'm saying Casey Kasem, though, like, was on every cartoon. That's where I was going. With All right. The, uh, he, did, he did radio shows, which is why, what I thought you were referring to. Oh, no. I was referring to, like, every cartoon you watched, he was the voice of right, a character right. on it. He did That's a lot of I radio think. shows. I think. Yeah. Never mind. Okay. So, okay. Um... All right, so he wrote in Killer Frost. This is interesting. He he really spent a lot of time thinking about Killer Frost. He said Killer Frost is an aw- is an awesome pioneering villain, and the books seem to step up whenever she was around. It's an obvious dynamic to put the elements against each other, but since so many of Firestorm villains are counterintuitive creations, I'm happy at least that she made sense. It went deeper than that, though, with Firestorm being a bit overheated, but life affirming. Where Frost had that chilly remove. I'm sorry. Where Frost had that chilly remove while dealing. Sudden death. Man, I am just a mess here. Well, it, you know, it's Frank's writing, though, so it's hard to read. Well, dealing su- – he writes it on um, nap- like a uh, toilet paper with like a crayon, so it's very messy. Where Frost had that chilly remove while dealing s- sudden still death. Pat Roderick was a perfect fit for the firestorm that was, but I find that the quiet grace and atypical interpretation of a young Turk powerhouse offered by Raphael Cannon more interesting, though that wouldn't take uh, wouldn't pay off until Brozowski took over for the blank slate period. So you know, interesting that uh, how how he just really thought about how Killer Frost interacts with the character and how she fits so well, and it goes beyond just the elements. It's nice. I mean, it's it's pretty thought provoking stuff. And he's written a lot more here. You should go out to Firestorm fan and read it. Uh, that's where the comments are. And um, he brought up, he said he liked Killer Frost's later costume. And I basically said, that's just a bathing suit. I don't know what he's talking about. It's hot, but it wasn't that good. He was actually referring to the period where Killer Frost was part of Suicide Squad. There was, there was, um, you know, there was the main Suicide Squad book that John Offender wrote. Then years later, there was a 12-issue series of Suicide Squad. Not a miniseries, but an ongoing tw- – it got canceled at 12 or 13. And it was written by Keith Giffen uh, and maybe even J.M. De- De- Demetrius, I'm not sure, but it, it felt very Justice League International. It was a fun, it was a fun book, and um, Killer Frost was actually an active part of that team, and she had a much more, you know, uh, practical costume in that one, like actually a shirt. And it was still tight; you could still see the cleavage and everything, but it was much more practical costume. So now I agree with him. Yes, that was a great costume she had. Uh, let's see. We heard from our buddy Martin Gray, who does the Too Dangerous for a Girl blog, and he said the Firestorm court cover was gorgeous, and he was surprised he didn't remember it. It's not like it featured Slipknot. <laughs> uh, Brad Haga over on Twitter said uh, Firestorm. <laughs> this is again the Firestorm cover. Firestorm has reinforcements on that cover. Looks like Optimus Prime's coming right at him. <laughs> and I gotta tell you, man. Every time I see that cover, I think the exact same thing. That semi looks exactly like Optimus Prime. Uh, Jason Rampala made a, a Transformers joke as well. Peter Gatt said um, that at the start of the podcast, there's a song where the guy saying the world needs heroes and wants to know what that's from. That is uh, Michael Kohler, who in uh, the song is called The Time Is Now. The Time Is Now, yeah. Yep. He did that for Cartoon Network. Yep. As a, a commercial, because they, they ran a Super Friends commercial, and that was the song that went along with it. And uh, so we love it, absolutely love it. Yeah, I don't know where that guy is, though. I don't know like, where he got that from, whether that's an original recording or it's like a piece of news footage or something. But I you mean the, vo- the voice, yeah. The guy at the beginning, yeah, yeah. yeah. It sounds kind of real, so it wouldn't shock me if it's from a, you know, like an audio recording of some horrible disaster, which has now been repurposed for a friggin' cartoon, but <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> We could ask him. He's out there on the interwebs. Um, Gareth Oliver wrote in and said he enjoyed Fire and Water podcast, even though I don't agree with the lads about Aquaman number 41. I thought it was ordinary. Interesting statement. You know, Gareth, I'll I'll, I'll task you. Tell us a little more. When you say it's ordinary, do you mean not 
all that different from before? Or do you mean ordinary as in like your enjoyment wasn't all that high? Yeah, I couldn't t- I couldn't tell by that whether he meant he liked it more or liked it less than what we said. <laughs> yeah. And then he said cheers for chocolate shag. I have no idea what that was. Did I did we make a chocolate comment last episode? I, no I don't idea. remember. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Uh, we got a message reports from Michael Bailey, who does views in the long box from Crisis to Crisis, Tales of the JSA, Bailey's Batman podcast, which I appeared on in the last episode, so hey. you know, five stars. Uh, he's uh, at Bailey's podcast. He says, special thanks to Aquaman Trying to Firestone, Firestone Fan for making me the stinger at the end of the latest FW podcast. That made me laugh. Yeah, I was seriously considering the making the You Want the Special comic to be the permanent stinger, but I can't <laughs> I can't bring myself to do that. So but yeah, I, I just I just there's something about him doing that voice and me picturing the guy and him handing Shag this porno comic. Uh, Shag. Shag. Whoa. Yeah, uh, Freud, leave me out of this. Freudian slip. Uh, handing Michael the porno comic that I just I just laughed just over and over at that. <laughs> uh, we also got some comments from some other folks. Just going to name check them real quick. Our buddy Hector Negrete from La Cueva del Nerd. Siskoid uh, from Siskoid's blog on Geekery. And apparently he has a like consistent spot on Secret Origins. I guess that's his new second home. A little jealous, mind you, but whatever. Uh, Giancarlo Nurko. Dale Russell said, because uh, last time we talked about how it had been three months since we'd done a review episode. So Dale Russell wrote, great show. There used to be a show just like this with the same name, but they quit a couple months ago. I found that pretty funny. Uh, Aaron Head Moss, who does the Task Force X podcast, the Head Speaks, said, love the Firestorm coverage. And Namor, or I mean Aquaman, was all right. <laughs> Uh, shared on their social media pages. We want to thank David Ace Gutierrez, DC Comics, the Justice League page, Derek William Crabb, DS and RS, Richard the Sutherlands, Green Groot, Hector Negrete, Court Industries, La Cueva del Nerd, Luke Dobb, Martin Gray, Mikey Flash, Oscar Olede, Paul Loves Comics, Pulp 2 Pixel Podcast, Tony D, and Vishnu, Vishnu Ganon. We really appreciate that, folks. I mean, retweeting and putting it on, you know, sharing on Facebook and stuff and on Tumblr, putting it on your own Facebook walls, and stuff, that just, it really helps, you know, get the word out there about the show. We really appreciate it. You, you nuclear subs are the absolute best. And uh, we're going to, we're going to run through another list. These are folks who, just, who gave us support across social media as well. Oh, you know who is missing from that list? We should thank Bradley Null. Oh, we well, should. He's, he's always posting stuff about the podcast and like the who's who and stuff. And we, I, we, I think we forget him. So Bradley Null too. Well, thank you. Yeah, I mean, that, and that's part of the problem is when I go through and pull these lists together, you know, uh, it's been, a, you know, three weeks, a month, whatever, and sometimes Facebook doesn't show you every post. You know, you can only right. see certain ones. So I do miss stuff. So if I miss you, I, that's never intentional. No, Well, I miss Ryan Daly on purpose sometimes. But other than that, it's it's just an accident. So I apologize if I miss you. Well, I have him. I have his stuff blocked from my feed, so I don't. I don't see. His well, stuff. I have a special filter that blocks all political comments. Uh, 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 religious comments and uh, Ryan Daly idiocy. So it's, you know, I only see like every 18th post he does now. So anyway, um, so other people who gave us support, we appreciate Aaron Head Moss, Alan King, Alan Middleton, Army of Skanks. <laughs> I love that. Bat Shap- Shapiric, Ben Falsam, Brad O'Leary, Callum Nauer, Carlos Guillamarez, Corey Hodgson, Dale Russell, Daniel Cynical Adams who does our closing theme, by the way. Guadam Shiran, Gene Hendricks, uh, Giancarlo Nurko, Jared West, Jeremy Gunter, Jimmy McGlinchey, Keith G. Baker, Kyle Benning, Legends of Tomorrow, uh, not the show, but a fan page, uh, Lucien Desar, Martin Scorer, Max Romero, Michael Scaduro, 
Mike Fedick, Mike Gillis, Mike Schmidt, Muffin0715, Paul Bowler, Rasheen Washington, Ronnie Ling, Rory Williams, uh, Ruth Sutherland, Sean Brock, The Hammer Strikes, This Is My Name, <laughs> that's funny, uh, Tim Fontaine, Tim Wallace, Wagner Oliveira, Van Z, William Byrne, William Estep, and Willie Yarborough. And uh, last thing to go out on, uh, we have a special uh, Steam Award to give. You know, the, the, it's been a while since we've given one. Steam Award is for someone that has gone above and beyond to help get the word out on the show or promote the show or just done something really cool regarding the Fire and Water podcast. And uh, this, is a, this is a pretty big one. This is a big shout-out, long-distance dedication to the room next door where my daughter's asleep. Uh, my daughter, yay, has won her second Steam Award. She, the other day, we came back from a long trip, and she said, Daddy, I want to help you with the show. I want to do you a drawing. So she did this great drawing for me. Uh, half the page is the Firestorm emblem. The other, other half of the page is the Aquaman emblem. And on the bottom, it says, Listen to the Fire and Water podcast. And I absolutely adore it. I've got it on my desk, next to my desk. I can see it all day long. And she deserves a Steam Award for that. And for those of you at home that have put forward a lot of efforts to try and earn a Steam Award, I just want to pass on the message to you that nepotism is very unfair. So. <laughs> She also right. deserves it for living with Shag on a regular basis. I mean, <laughs> she doesn't have a lot of choice. She's only nine. <laughs> I'm what in Florida? She can't just go live on her own. Isn't that the legal thing down there? Yeah, actually, yeah, we allow children to live in the wild. It's true. Yep, and they, and we let them vote too. Yeah, well, that's clear. <laughs> <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, Rob, why don't you tell the folks at home where they can find our Tumblr, where they'll see a couple images from these issues, as well as my daughter's artwork. Fireandwaterpodcast.tumblr.com. The blog is fireandwaterpodcast.blogspot.com. And the email address is firewaterpodcast at comcast.net. Great. You can find my friend Rob, and I use that term loosely, over on AquamanShrine.net. You can find him on Facebook and Twitter under the same handle. You can find me at FirestormFan.com, and using that same handle, you can find me on Facebook, Twitter, Google+, Instagram, and Tumblr. And uh, I don't think this is going to be a thing, but I did sign up for Pinterest. (laughs) Only to stop somebody else. (laughs) But when I went out there, I'm like, oh, wow. Firestorm fan, there's like hundreds of people, like people have pinned Firestorm fan posts like hundreds of times. So there's people out there pinning my posts on Pinterest. I'm like, oh. So I was kind of checking those out. So if you if you are on Pinterest, you know, find Firestorm fan, you know, connect or I don't know how you do it there because I really didn't spend much time on it. I'm on Pinterest, so I'll have to find you there. Are you really? Not as, as Aquaman. Aqu- no, not as Aquaman. Just my uh, own thing. Oh, Susie, Susie Q, that other uh, identity you use? Yes. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, Until next time, uh, fan the flame and ride the wave. Bye. Aquaman and Firestorm fighting crime together. Soak them down or burn them up. No one does it better. Whenever you find trouble, they'll always be there to catch them in a bubble or even torch their hair. Stand for truth and justice in sea, on land, in air. Firestorm and Aquaman, they make a super pair. Aquaman and Firestorm, super friends forever. Yeah! Say when. Hey, Shag, fire and water. 
Water Podcast. Uh, I love you and thank you for watching and stay tuned for Legends of Tomorrow and I hope you you will like it and I hope you'll see well you'll see what happens.